Okay, hit me with it. Okay, well, I wanted to ask if there was any chance you and your household, this is the holiday season, and I was wondering if you happened to do anything to celebrate Wolfenute. Um, we don't. <laughs> you're, you're not observing. No, um, I know, I know of it. I've, I've seen like, like Instagram posts about it, mm-hmm. but it's not, I just feel like my cats would feel really left out. That That's fair. That's fair. And also my snake. <laughs> no, he, well, he's like a wolf and noodle. <laughs> yeah. He's just a snoot. He's one really big, long snoot. But no, um. Mostly because I'm just really lazy and I always forget. And <laughs> and then and then before I know it, it's February and I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> um, no, the reason I bring it up is because uh, we've been joking that Andrew was visited by the spirit of Wolfenute because he had. Andrew has the cutest dreams. OK, like when I have dreams, they're always really surreal and bizarre or else they're really stressful, like we have to get on a plane to go to Japan and we haven't packed anything. And also there's a pandemic. What are we doing? Why did we buy these tickets? Why are we going right? to Japan right now? The Corona. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Andrew, I mean, and of course he does have like stressful dreams like that, but he'll also have these really adorable dreams. Like one time he had a dream that he had to teach a lot of baby squirrels and rabbits how to snuggle. Like, what? like by by cradling them in his hands and like like nuzzling them with his cheek and I was like that's just not fair I can't believe you got to have that as a dream who has dreams like that <laughs> you this married man. you married a Disney princess <laughs> but he had a dream the other night and like like you know we're waking up and uh, I see that he's just kind of like smiling to himself as as he's waking up and I'm like what is everything okay you all right and he's like yeah I just had this really cute dream he's like I dreamt you're that like I went damn it to- not again. <laughs> he's like i dreamt that i went downstairs i got on the sofa and vivi was there and i was like oh hey vivi you know and i start petting her and then i look down and there's another dog there and it's like a little like a a dachshund and he's like what who's this where did this come from and i like walk in and i'm like oh that's ham he's gonna be staying with (laughs) us for a while (laughs) (laughs) that's ham that's Ham, and I just cannot get over like this imaginary dog named Ham. And so, I'm always asking him, you know, when we're like grabbing groceries or you know picking up lunch or something. I'm like, oh, what do you think the dogs are doing right now? And and so I was asking him, I was like, what do you think Ham's doing right now? He's like, did you just ask me what an imaginary dog is doing right now? You're I was like, like have yeah, you I ever need... met me? Like <laughs> that's exactly what I said. I was like, did you think that you were gonna tell me about an imaginary dream dog named Ham, and I wasn't gonna bring it up again? <laughs> that is so funny, Ham. Uh, yeah. So we've been um, we've been talking a lot about Ham lately. Well, if you ever want to know what Ham is up to, that's also what we call my partner Graham. <laughs> um, I don't know how it happened. Oh, I do know how it happened. Because uh, many moons ago, Graham's nickname with friends that um, he's lost touch with now, um, they called him the Grand Ham. <laughs> and he told that story to me. And then I told the story to Toby. And now we live in the house. And so like the Grand Ham was like, oh, the Grand Ham is a joke. But then we just started calling him Ham. <laughs> and it just stuck. And now it has devolved so much that, like, I'll walk into a room and Graham will be, like, doing his nails. And I'll go, Scrambone, will you go check the mail? And he'll go, yeah, sure. <laughs> and it's not even, like, a joke anymore. That's just his name. Like, like there's no, like, that's my boyfriend's affectionate nickname for me. It's just what we call him. If you ever want to know what Ham is up to, just let just text me and I will tell you exactly what he's up to at any given moment. <laughs> Yeah, so shout out to Andrew's subconscious. Yeah, um, way to go, Princess Andrew. Uh, you <laughs> snuggle many squirrels in the future. <laughs> this is not me being like, he who princess, like, femininity. Just like, this is this is what happens. Like, when Bernie Sanders was a Disney princess and the bird yep. came. Yep. It's the same thing. It's, I say it with all the love and affection in the world. And also some jealousy, because who just gets to have dreams like that? Right. <laughs> you know who I bet has dreams like that? Who? Spider-Man. <laughs> he wishes. <laughs> Let's start the podcast.
What's up, everybody? My name is Zeke. And I'm Kat. And we are here to ask the question, does Spider-Man dream about snuggling puppies? I think puppies dream about snuggling Spider-Man. Do you think? Do you think it's every puppy's dream to snuggle Spider-Man? Absolutely. Okay. All right. I mean, if that Spider-Man is is Tom Holland, then absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tessa just hit the lottery. (laughs) She hit the puppy lottery. Well, Tessa and all the puppies that he stole for you in that one. (laughs) Right. That one dream. I don't even remember how we came up with that. Just kidding. That's not what the podcast is about. We want to know, was Spider-Man there? Kat and I have put this show together because we both enjoy comics, and particularly Spider-Man. Back in the early episodes, I would open this by saying that I don't know jack about Spider-Man, and Kat knows so much about Spider-Man that it would fill a whole forest full of squirrels. But now I know some things about Spider-Man. It's true. We've been recording the podcast for a little while now, and I always walk away with some incredible but entirely wild Spider-Man knowledge. So uh, I'm very excited to keep this going. We run the show in two parts. The first half is something we call Elevator Pitch, which is where Kat gives me a theme for the week. And then I uh, write up hopefully a brand new comics pitch. And then Kat does some research and she lets me know if Spider-Man was there. There's also a second half of the podcast, but that's actually a dream sequence. So the first half is going to be I'm just kidding. Uh, We're not going to put you to sleep. (laughs) Actually, we have um, a very exciting and what I would call a very special episode. Kat, what's our theme this week? This week, we are stepping a little bit outside of the realm of normal comics and a little bit into the world of meta as we explore Spider-Man PSAs. This, I think, was one of the very early concepts that I had. I wanted to do an episode about Spider-Man PSAs because before I give you my pitch, when I was a kid, I was handed down a Batman comic that was a Batman PSA comic about landmines. <laughs> <laughs> it was Batman teaching kids how to how to detect and avoid landmines. And it was an American <laughs> comic. It wasn't like it was published internationally. And so I don't no, like, my memory is so muddled. I cannot tell you, like, what year this was meant to have come out. But it was definitely, like, kids playing in a park. And then Batman, like, is, like, hanging out on top of a building. And Robin's like, gee, Willikers, Batman, uh, those kids are playing in a field that says caution on the fence. And Batman's like, let's go down there and save them. And then they go. And Batman's like, you should be very careful because that's a landmine. Because you're like, what's a landmine? And when I was a kid reading it, I was like, I don't know. What the hell is a landmine? Like, it's, it's not something that you encounter. But that memory stuck with me. And so I figured that there definitely had to be some good Spider-Man PSAs. I have cooked up one hell of a story for you this week. I am I'm so excited. I've had this in my yeah. back pocket for so long. I'm ready. Yeah, I I think we'll be covering some issues that are maybe a little more relatable than landmines, but I don't know. I don't know where this is going to take us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it's a regular day in New York City. Uh, Spider-Man has just finished putting some villains away. He's uh, been to a ceremony where he's gotten the key to the city, and he's well known for taking down the big bads, and kids are like, wow, Spider-Man, cool, I want to be just like him. And all the big bads are like, well... We've, I mean, we're, we've kind of done it. Like, we have to regroup. And so there's a little while where there's not really any major big villain crime happening in New York. It's all kind of like, you know, petty thefts and B&Es and things. And Spider-Man's there for that. But, you know, the cops can handle that too. And then a new villain arrives. He's kind of shrouded in the shadows. And so Spider-Man has to, like, find his lair through the pages of this story. But this gentleman uh, refers to himself as Dr. Dealer. And he, I love it. <laughs> he has created a line of androids that are all like super cool hip teens. And he sends them out into various schools in New York and somehow they make it past the metal detectors. And these kids, quote unquote kids, these androids are all Dr. Dealer's little minions. 
and their only job is to sell kids marijuana. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's what oh. they do. Dr. Dealer believes that he has grown this powerful, like, mind control strain of marijuana. And so he's like, go forth, and, and then I will have an army of teenagers, because that's a very good idea. So these androids are going to schools, and they're like, hey, kid, you should buy some weed. And at first, kind of, the kids are like, whatever, no. But the android teens stay in the schools for a little while, and they kind of start to build, like, a reputation. And in this story, Spider-Man is still a high school student. Like, Peter Parker's still in high school. So one of these androids is going to his school, or maybe, like, more than one, but one at least. And he notices that there's this, like cool kid like very aloof and like girls like him and peter's like who is that and mary jane's like oh you haven't met uh calvin cool ice (laughs) and peter's like that's not his name surely (laughs) and she's like calvin's the coolest guy in school are you kidding he's cooler than harry he's he's cooler than anybody that's ever gone here at um insert high school name here and Peter's like, I don't know. And so, like, he, something just strikes him as weird. Like, his spidey sense is tingling all the time. and He can't figure out what it is. And then one day, Calvin Cool Ice approaches him uh, during gym class. And he's like, hey, you look kind of stressed out. And Peter's like, yeah, well, um, I have a job I do after school. And it's um, pretty stressful. And Calvin Cool Ice is like, you know what? I have something that can help you relax. And he has like a little, like an eighth. (laughs) (laughs) Which, which I hope no one reading it as a child would be like, oh, he has an eighth? Because then, like, if you already know the weed terms, this comic's not for you. (laughs) Um, I definitely only knew it because I Googled it and not because I know anything about marijuana. But so he's got like an eighth. And uh, Peter's like, whoa, man, I don't do drugs. And Calvin's like, well, it's not really a drug. It's actually a a plant and it's non-addictive and it's pretty chill, actually. Um, But you should buy it. And it gets all like sinister. Uh, Peter's like, no way, dude. And so in his adventures as Spider-Man, like after school or whatever, he notices that like more and more kids are getting like dealt to and there's a lot more like weed circulating and kids are like smoking this like new strain of weed that's called frosty and he's like oh no it's calvin cool ice that kid that goes to my school and so he like corners calvin cool ice one day and he kind of like shoves him up against the wall but he's spider-man and he's like i heard you're dealing weed to children and calvin's like Maybe. And so Spider-Man like shakes him up and his head kind of hits the wall and one of his eyes pops out and and Spider-Man's like, oh, he's a robot. Calvin's like, um, error, error. And then he (laughs) just like shuts down. And so then everybody at Peter's school thinks that like Calvin died in a very tragic vehicular accident. And he maintains his cool kid status into the afterlife or the recycle bin, whichever you prefer. And so Spider-Man, like, uses the bits and pieces from Calvin Cool Ice, and he tracks down Dr. Dealer, and he's like, Dr. Dealer, you have to stop dealing all the marijuana to these kids. And Dr. Dealer's like, oh, who's gonna stop me? And Spider-Man's like, me. And Dr. Dealer says, you and what army? And Spider-Man's like, well, it's really just me. And Dr. Dealer's like, well, you should have come prepared. And then, like, he flips a light on, and it's like a grow lab, you know, with, like, the fluorescence and everything. But there's a bunch right. of mind-controlled teenagers in there who are all super high. And, like, I want I want you to imagine that they're drawn just like they're really stoned. Like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. they're not, it's not anything special. They're just really stoned. But they are the most effective combatants. No yes, man. absolutely. So he's like, get him. And they're all like, Ugh. and they're kind of like zombies, basically. And so Peter's like, I don't want to fight my own friends. And so he figures out that if he turns the sprinklers on and he gives them like a good cold shock that they'll all kind of come to their senses. And so they're like, oh, where are we? Like, what's going on? And Peter's like, that's the key is to like be alert and stay hydrated. And that's really the best way to keep yourself safe. And... <laughs> And they're like, (laughs) sorry, continue, continue. Listen, this is really my magnum opus. So he's like, you're going down, Dr. Dealer. And so he like arrests him or whatever. And he saves the day. And then all the kids are like, wow, Spider-Man, you saved us. And he's like, well, I wouldn't have had to if you weren't such stoners. 
Uh, and then he looks right at the camera and he's like, remember kids, weed is not cool. Uh, it's, uh, hugs, not drugs. Uh, stay safe. And don't trust anybody whose last name is Cool Ice because that's just trouble. And that's, and then like on the last page, it's like him and um, like McGruff the crime dog or something. <laughs> or Ham the crime dog. <laughs> and that's it. That's why Spider-Man PSA for staying drug free. There's so much I love about the story. <laughs> so I come to, I will say that I come to you only to ask has there ever been a Spider-Man PSA about not doing drugs not <laughs> was there ever a Spider-Man PSA where a weird uh, weed dealer built a bunch of androids although if that is the comic that you've brought me I will be <laughs> I, not only would I be floored but I would also believe every word of it because we have been through it on this show yeah there's so much to love about your pitch I love Dr. Dealer like I've I have trudged, and I I will use that word, trudged through some PSAs, and uh, that seems spot on for the kind of villain you, you would see in one of these things. Great. Uh, I love Calvin Cool Ice only because I just keep thinking about Calvin Coolidge. Yeah, well, I could, honestly, that was kind of where I was at with it, because I was like, Calvin would be like a, a cool boy's name, but then I couldn't think of any last name other than Coolidge, and I was like uh cool ice and i wrote that down and i didn't think any more about it <laughs> um uh i like i like fr- that the kids are doing frosty although that starts veering into like this sounds too cool for a psa yeah um, yeah i wanted there to be like like an element where like a kid could maybe read it and be like oh but but if i if like my friend came up to me and was like yo dude have you tried the the this new frosty have you dropped frosty yet then they would be like, oh, that sounds dope. Like, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, they wrote it a little too good. Yeah, um, I especially like the part where, uh, like, towards the end, Spider-Man is, like, telling the kids how to imbibe responsibly. Like, if you do drugs, make sure you drink plenty of water. Like, <laughs> Oh, no, I um, just mean, no, I mean literally, like, his plan is, like, instead of doing drugs, just be, just hydrate. Just drink just water. Just be hydrated. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, water is my anti-drug. Just be, just have a, <laughs> uh, Nalgene on you at all times. <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man is all those, like, wholesome self-care memes that's just like, have you drunk water? today like that's it that's yeah spider-man uh has an app and he texts people like it's, a, <laughs> like it's an automated text and it's like hey remember to straighten your back and stretch and drink a little water and maybe light a candle like spider-man has no business telling people how to take care of their mental health which is fine which is the the absolute core of the joke <laughs> he's got like the posture of a shrimp in his house and he's like remember to drink water i guess to answer your question There was, in fact, a Spider-Man comic book story that addressed drug use. And as opposed to a lot of the other things that we're going to talk about today, this wasn't like a one-off or, you know, sometimes PSA stuff or like, we shot a five-minute cartoon or this is a free comic that they distributed at schools. The story behind this is pretty interesting that Stanley at Marvel was approached by none other than President Nixon in the 1970s wow. to come up with a anti-drug comic book storyline or something to market to young audiences. And that was really it. That was the request. And so Stanley was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. But rather than foist it off on some character that nobody cared about or come up with like, a, you know, okay, we're going to use a popular character, but we're going to do a you know, one-off freebie thing. He made it a part of the Amazing Spider-Man series, which was like the number one series that they had at the time. Wow. And actually wanted to focus on creating a story that contributed something to the universe, to the world that like was actually compelling and that didn't just feel like a soapbox, you know, that actually had something to do with the characters. Mm -hmm. And he also, you know, I think very cleverly, folded in like the first reappearance of the green goblin that in in a while in comic book terms so like there was a a bigger reason for people to pick up the book mm-hmm. so there was a lot like there's a lot writing on this and this is actually a three issue story so wow in 1970s terms that's that's pretty significant yeah so the arc starts with the green goblin reborn and it opens up with peter parker getting off a plane and he's returning from England where he has just gone to try and 
win back the affections of Gwen Stacy, who's gone to England to live with family after her father died. And she blames Spider-Man for that death, not realizing that Spider-Man and Peter Parker, her boyfriend, were the same person. And so she's gone off to go, you know, find herself and think about life. And he's he's returning from the trip where he went to go and try and, like, explain things to her or talk to her. But he also wasn't necessarily ready to give up his secret identity and then bad guy stuff happened. And so he had to be Spider-Man and do that. And then he's like, well, I can't show up as Peter Parker because she's smart enough to put the pieces together. So he's yeah, returned Doc, home. <laughs> Doc Ock showed up to steal the diamond out of the tower of London. We talked, we talked about that. <laughs> yeah, obviously, obviously. <laughs> so he returns from his trip relatively fruitlessly and is like, well, at least I got some shots of the fight. I can sell those to the paper. And he like hands them over to um, Joe Robertson who's like the, he's not the editor, but I don't know. He, he works at the paper. He's like kind of the calm person that kind of helps balance Jonah out. Okay. And he's like, I've got these pictures. And he's like, wow, these are great. Let's publish them. And like, Peter's like walking out of the building with his paycheck. And he's like, wait a minute. I was so busy thinking about Gwen putting together my identity. I just handed over those pictures and didn't explain what I was doing in England when Spider-Man was there. That's, a, a situation I've just created for myself. Um, so, but it, it does rekindle a lot of his fears about his identity sure. and, you know, the, the angst. So he has a couple of minutes where he's like freaking out about that a little bit. And in that moment, he runs into Harry and Harry's in good spirits. And he's very excited because Mary Jane is going to be appearing in a premiere of a show off Broadway. And he's like, we got to go the whole gang. We all have to go and support her and cheer so loud. And Peter's like, that sounds great, but I am super broke perpetually. And Harry's like, well, you know, we, my dad has offered you a job at Oscorp and like, you're qualified for the job. It wouldn't be like a gift. You know, you are as good a candidate as anybody else. Like you should accept this job. And Peter is a little bit reluctant about it because he's, you know, uh, at this point he's faced the goblin. Mm -hmm. Norman Osborn as the goblin is aware that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but in their last altercation, Norman got amnesia. And so he doesn't remember being the goblin. He doesn't remember any of that. And as long as he doesn't have a relapse, basically, Things are fine, but Peter understands that, like, that is a very fragile piece. And so he's you know, a little bit concerned, like, am I tempting fate by accepting this job and, like, being at Oscorp and being in proximity to Osborne? Is that going to be a bad thing? But he decides he could use a steady paycheck. And so he accepts the job and, like, he goes he goes to Oscorp to formally accept it and meets um, Norman there. And Norman's like, oh, you know, yeah, you... He has that, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself moment. And then he uh, also kind of cajoles him into going to see Mary Jane's show. And he's like, oh, yes, Harry told me how much you wanted to see that. I'm I'm treating everybody. I'm treating the whole gang. So you have to come in here. And Peter's like, I can't really not go now. I don't have a good excuse. So, yeah, sure, I'll go. So, uh, like, he's leaving the building and he's kind of like examining his life choices. And he and as he's on his way, like to the theater. And then he in the distance hears a disturbance. And so he suits up and goes out after it. And sure enough, there's police cars and a huge crowd surrounded at the bottom of this building. And he goes to the top and he sees that there's this dude just completely strung out. And he's the the guy is drawn in kind of a very like burnt out hippie style. Like he's, you know, joints. He's very disjointed and like standing at odd angles and he's like right on the ledge of the building and his eyes are really spaced out and um, he's just talking about like, oh, I can float, I can fly. And, you know, he can hear the crowd below people telling him like, you know, screaming and and he's like, they don't believe me. There's got to be some way that I can show them. And he's like, I know, I'll jump. And so Spider-Man's like, oh, that's a bad idea. And like, yeah, manages to swing down and save him and drops him off on the ground where like waiting paramedics and police officers and people are able to take care of him and and then quickly like leaves the scene because at this moment in time spider-man is a wanted man and so there's even like a guy who's like talking to a policeman he's like isn't isn't like spider-man a criminal and the guy's like uh yeah but i'm not about to arrest a guy who just you know saved somebody like I'd, i'll quit the force first and i'm like all right I yeah. guess that's sure all right we'll take it And as Spider-Man swings away, he kind of has an internal monologue about, like, how fucked up that guy was on drugs and 
how, you know, he'd rather tangle with a hundred Doc Ox before he would let himself, you know, get screwed up like that, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, which is a little bit preachy, but sure, we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. So he makes it to the theater and runs into Mary Jane and Harry and, and Norman. And then another friend, I was a little unclear on if he was supposed to be like someone that worked with Norman or if he's one of Harry's friends, but his name is Randy and he's a black <laughs> man. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> But he he is a black man, which is significant. Um, in that, so so was the hippie that Spider Man rescued. And as they're like getting ready to go into the theater, he's the Randy is like, oh yeah, I'm late because there was this commotion. Spider Man saved this drug addict that was trying to jump off of a building, and like Norman is very you know scoffing or whatever, and rah, 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 rah. and Randy kind of reads him the riot act about how like you know, this isn't like a black people problem or this, this is, this is a, this is something that people turn to when they don't have any other options and that people turn to drugs because they're stuck in a system that doesn't give them a way out. And that like, as a rich bazillionaire, Norman doesn't really understand, understand anything about that. And Norman feels very offended and they're about to start an argument, but then they have to go into the theater to see the show. But this, raises Norman's temper a little bit and he's mm -hmm. you know kind of rattled by this whole argument so they sit through the show and it goes really well but the whole time like Peter's kind of got one eye on Norman like he's really rattled is everything gonna be okay and Norman is like obsessively staring at not the show but like one of the locked stage doors that's like off to the side reason being and the reason that he like was able to swing as many tickets as he wanted to the show in addition to being rich is that Oscorp used to own the building that the theater is now in. And so when he was the goblin, he used it as a hideout and like a location to like store weapons and costumes and shit like that. And so something in the back of his mind is telling him that there's something familiar about like that back door and like what it leads. And he's like, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I need to see what's back there. I need to see what's behind that door. And he's like obsessing about it, like as the show is going on. Um, and so the show ends and it's, it's great. And, you know, they're all complimenting Mary Jane on how well she did and they split up, but Norman backtracks and then Peter like doesn't have a good feeling about things. So he goes ahead and puts on the suit and goes back. And sure enough, Norman has found his old suit, found some of his old weapons. He's suited up and he's completely reverted to his green goblin persona. Okay. And they start having a bit of a fight there's several pages where they're just like fighting up in midair and goblin has a lot of very like it's not just normal explosives like he's got a lot of really specialized one that are giving spider-man a run for his money and in the end he manages to like he's got clouds and clouds of smoke and he manages to knock spider-man down but spider-man sort of clings to the underside of a ledge and the goblin's like i guess i killed him i guess i knocked him down to the ground and he's dead now so i'm gonna fly off <laughs> even though there's no body <laughs> yeah i can't see and i can't wait for the smoke to clear so i'm gonna leave you know so why do you know why he had to leave why did he have to leave he had to go meet a man made entirely of bees <laughs> man made entirely of mutant bees uh probably yeah that sounds about right so peter is really concerned about this because on the one hand the green goblin could destroy him because he knows his identity he knows his vulnerabilities um that's very dangerous but at the same time Unlike a lot of the other villains he's faced, he understands that Norman is just mentally ill and that like he doesn't really feel great about beating up someone who is sick. So he's and, you know, obviously he's friends with his son and there's history there. And so it's a very complicated situation, which is something that I appreciate about these characters and this particular conflict. Meanwhile, Harry, they, like he get, they come back to the apartment and Harry comes in and he's really upset because Mary Jane has been sort of flirting with Peter. And Peter hasn't necessarily been receptive because he's like, I know that Harry's interested in her. There's still something with me and Gwen. I'm pretty sure we're, I'm pretty sure they're still boyfriend and girlfriend at this point, even though they're separated by an ocean. So he's not trying to pursue her, but Mary Jane is kind of like, whatever, I'm not attached to anybody. I can drape myself on whoever I want to. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty girl. And that is driving Harry to distraction. And he gets very upset and Peter's trying to like calm him down. And he's like, no, it's fine. I know what I need. And so he like starts taking like some sleeping pills basically to knock himself out. Uh, rookie mistake. 
Yeah, and Peter's like, what are you doing? And, and and he's just like, whatever, it's fine. I know what I need. And Peter's like, you know, now that I think about it, like, he's always popping something, like, whether it's pills to help him wake up or pills to even him out or pills to help him go to sleep, like, he's always taking something. And he's, you know, he's like, but maybe it's not my business, right? You know, these are, mm-hmm. this is medicine, I guess. Like, it's fine, I suppose. So he goes out to try and, like, find Norman to see, like, how bad this relapse is. Meanwhile, Harry goes looking for Mary Jane, like on campus or something like that. And she turns him down. She's just like, look, we're not boyfriend and girlfriend. I can hang out with whoever I want to, however I want to. You're not the boss of me. And he gets so upset by this that he like, he's kind of retreating. And at this moment, someone who's very much like Dr. Dealer, I don't think they give him a name, but I think if you were to design that character, he would look a lot like this. He's a very shifty dude. Like, yeah. He's wearing a lot of yellow. I think he's got, like, a porno mustache. Oh, Um, perfect. Yeah, like, calls Harry into, like, a dark alley. And he's like, hey, I saw that go down. That was really rough. I've got something that'll help, though. You know, once you take some of these, you won't even care anymore. And, I mean, isn't that the best thing you can hope for? And Harry's like, well, I'll take these. But, you know, I'm not going to get addicted. And the guy's like, yeah, that's what they all say. (laughs) Ha, 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 fade into the shadows. (laughs) (laughs) So... Peter returns back to their apartment and he finds that Harry has just like OD'd on some of these pills and he's like trying to help his friend and he's like, oh, I'm going to call the hospital. And Harry's like, no, no no hospital. Why do people always say that? I guess he's worried he's going to get in trouble. Right. And at that moment, the goblin attacks their apartment because obviously Norman knows who Peter Parker is. Mm -hmm. And. But there's obviously like a level of disconnect. And so he attacks, but like Peter's just Peter himself right now. And he's trying to help Harry. And he's like, this is not the time for a fight. And so he's like scooped up Harry in his arms and Norman sees him holding him like that. And then just like freaks out and like has this disassociative break where like he can't let Harry see him like this. And also, you know, he just he like can't reconcile the two halves of himself. And so he flies off, which allows Peter to get Harry to the hospital and help him find the help he needs he gets a little bit of cathartic revenge i guess because later on he does meet like we'll just call him dr dealer sure yeah <laughs> uh he does he does meet that guy in an alley like i think the guy approaches him and tries to him, sell him some pills and he's like oh shit this is where harry got that shit and then the guy calls out like his two hired muscle guys and of course peter makes uh quick work of them and he's like if i move like just the right way maybe they'll just think i'm really good at karate <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which they, they do, apparently. Yeah, so meanwhile, back at the Bugle, Jameson is confronting Robertson, um, who's brought him a whole story about Harry Osborne being in the hospital. And he's like, well, we can't publish this because Norman Osborne is one of our top advertisers. And Robertson is like, well, we have to, though. Like, I've never really known you to be the kind of guy that, that is, like, going to put money over journalistic integrity like that. And we have to report on the story because it's really important to show that drugs are not, like, quote, a ghetto problem. Like, this isn't something that just affects poor people or just affects black people or whatever. Like, that this could affect anybody and mm-hmm. and help make that understood. And so, like, really, I think it's Robertson here, who Robbie, who's, like, delivering the the he's doing the lion's share of the message delivering really in in like the more nuanced way sure so they have that conversation i think they go ahead and publish the story and then goblin attacks again and he manages to like i think i feel like some of this was unnecessary but he manages to attack spider-man with some bombs that like remove his stickiness so he's not sticky anymore he's just (gasps) still super strong and i'm like i mean okay if you take away superman's laser eyes like <laughs> that's just part of the package but all I, right i like that he yeah it's like well if he's not sticky anymore i'll win <laughs> like but it, but it, uh you know when it rains it pours and like peter realizes he's out of web fluid too and so like it's just him being strong and also like trying not to kill norman while having to fight him but luckily again the fight takes them by the hospital and spider-man is able to like maneuver it so that the goblin like sees Harry in the hospital bed and again has another one of these like kind of episodes or whatever. And uh, he manages to like, I don't know, he he ends up kind of flying off, getting laid out and Peter is able to like, or Spider-Man is able to find him and pick him up and like take him back home and put him in bed. So he's like, maybe he'll wake up and just think this was all a dream and it was really weird and pretend and we won't have to have this conversation for a couple more days. Yeah. And then the comic ends with, like, Gwen 
showing back up because she's reconsidered, you know, like maybe I shouldn't have left things with Peter that way. And, you know, we deserve to make this work and blah, blah, blah. But so there, yeah, there was a lot of like narrative stuff happening and there was a lot of action in it. But I, I think that they tried their best because it was like 1971. So Mm -hmm. I think they really tried their best to make it a story that seemed both like a relevant comic book story that also included these issues. But what I think is really interesting about this is that at the time, the, uh, do you know what the comics code authority is? Uh, yeah, we've, we've talked about it in regards okay, to, so, uh, like Peter not being able to drink or whatever. Well, well, the Peter not being able to drink is not a comics code thing. That's a, like a Marvel marketing Oh, thing. okay. Then no, I am not familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's more like Mickey Mouse isn't allowed to look scary. I think oh, it's kind okay. of one of those unspoken rules. The comics code authority was started in 1954. And basically what it does is it allows the comic publishers to kind of self-regulate um, as opposed to having the government say like you can't can or cannot put this and that in comic books they came up with this group that has their own set of regulations and then comic book publishers it's it's optional so comic book publishers would say like okay we're gonna publish our book and then we need to make sure that it adheres to these standards and has a stamp on it kind of the way that like video games and well that's not optional but the way that video games or whatever might have a rating on them Sure. But it is optional. And at first it started and it was like super draconian and it actually like changed the kinds of comics that were being written. Cause I remember when it first started, when I remember, but I remember learning that when it first started, you weren't allowed to have comics that had like title or subject matter that was seen as like corrupting the youth. So sci-fi and horror titles, like anything that had terror or weird or words like that in the wow. title were like no longer allowed which i think is part of the reason that comics transitioned from like science fiction and horror into like the superhero genre but at the time that this story was requested and written the rule about drugs was that you couldn't mention them at all um whether it was in positive or negative light okay so stanley was like well we're writing the story and we're gonna put it in spider-man and we're gonna put it in the spider-man and that's just how it is so we're just not gonna have the the Comics Code Authority sticker on these three issues and just decided not to to just opt out of it for those three issues. And then after this, it came back, which is a pretty like ballsy move, really. Yeah. Especially for like a kind of all ages title like Spider-Man. But it actually ended up changing the regulation about drug use um, in the eyes of the Comics Code Authority because they're like, oh, OK, there is merit to stories like this these kinds of stories can be used to tell a message that is actually positive and maybe we should embrace that a little bit more. So it actually kind of changed that ruling, which doesn't actually matter now because uh, Marvel ended up opting out 2000s, I think like 2001 Marvel opted out of the comics code authority entirely, which like that tracks. And I think DC opted out like in the 2010s. And so it's, it's like a defunct thing. It doesn't really exist anymore, but uh, it's interesting to see like why it, sprung up and how it changed and how individual stories like this changed. Also, like after this story was published in Spider-Man, it inspired DC to do their own take on an anti-drug message story. But theirs was different because it involved an actual like hero character being involved, mm-hmm. which again, I think speaks to the idea that like, this is a problem that can affect anybody. Yeah. I like that. That's kind of the message. Like when I think about, like comic book characters and PSAs there it's like, well, they're directed at children. Like, you know, brush your teeth and eat your vegetables and don't trust anybody that has an eighth at school to have a message like this can affect anyone. And these are adults, you know, and this is not like somebody coming to save Billy on the playground. I think that's really interesting and like not an angle that I had thought about it from. Yeah. I think I was surprised, especially considering the, year that the message was not just don't do drugs kids but also why people do drugs right like why people would turn to drugs and that those people are sick and i think that was a much more sympathetic take than i was expecting from a 1971 comic ordered by richard nixon yeah that was the other thing that i was going to mention is um the take that I say take like, oh, the Richard Nixon's hot take, but, (laughs) but the framework of addiction being an illness, I think is really hugely progressive (laughs) for its time. Yeah. That's not at all what I was expecting. So thank you for looking that up. 
I I am interested to hear about what you trudged through <laughs> to, to reference your your earlier comment. So are you ready to take a nap and, and enter the dream sequence that is the second half of the episode? I'm so ready. All right. We we should get a little, hams there. We should get a little harp sound effect, I think. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. That's not in the budget. Here's the transition music. <laughs> Okay, we're here. I hope everyone is having a great nap right now. If you're listening to this, you hear my voice. This is a dream. We will be going over Squirrel Snuggling 101 in a moment. And then we will get into some Spider-Man stories. But there is something that we do want to let you know. For those of you who are uninitiated, this part of the podcast, we are going to explore a couple uh, more Spider-Man stories uh, briefly. And I just wanted to give a quick notification um, because we are talking about PSAs. We are going to talk about some sensitive issues. So I just wanted to put out a trigger warning for the following suicide, teen pregnancy and child sexual abuse. So definitely feel free to pause or skip ahead or whatever you want to do um, or go listen to a different episode. <laughs> You're not going to hurt our feelings. Uh, we just want you guys to stay safe. But that said, it's now it's weird for me to say that I'm excited to get into this half, but I'm always excited with what you bring me because it's always such like fresh and unexpected stuff. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Can you tell us uh, about the second half of the podcast? Right. So the second half of the podcast is called two truths and a fic. And in this case, I will be giving Zeke two Canon Spider-Man storylines from PSAs and one storyline that I lifted from an obliging fan work. And Zeke has to try and figure out which are the real boys. Which are the real boys and which are the lost, which, which one is the lost boy? <laughs> I don't know how we got to Peter Pan, but here we are. There's a link I can make with Peter Parker, I'm sure. Um, but I won't go there because <laughs> we will be here for 10 more years. I do usually compete for a sticker. Do you have a sticker for me this week, Kat? I do. Today I have a little tiny sparkly orange sticker um, in honor of the Spider-Man PSA commercial where he saves New York City from a giant fly and is offered $400 million and instead takes an orange. Oh, you mean like a fruit? Yeah. Are we yeah. going to talk about that story? No, that's it. That's it. It's like a 30 second commercial. Okay. I guess the, we'll have to tweet the, that because wow. Yeah. The mayor's like... I give you the key to the city and $400 million. And Spider-Man's like, I'd rather have an orange. And he's like, please, <laughs> please don't defund the education system of New York City. The kids need that money more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> What's the PSA for? Like eat your vegetables or what? Yeah, it's like eat fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, kids, eat fruit. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm all right. I'll take the orange sticker. I like it a lot, so I'm definitely going to zero in and focus. Uh, hit me with that that first uh, sweet, sweet plot. All right, here we go. When Spider-Man saves a young woman named Rosalind from jumping to her death, it's all part of a good night's work for the hometown hero. But surviving the attempt helps Rosalind realize how much she wants to live and how much she has yet to accomplish. Okay, um, I like this one. I, it kind of reminds me of, um, I know there's a Deadpool comic that goes around sometimes, mm -hmm. I think, that's about, like, Deadpool stopping a girl from jumping off a building. Um, so this kind of feels like it's in that vein, so I'm leaning towards canon for this one, but um, let, me hear the, let me hear the rest of them. When Spidey follows a helicopter full of teens to a secluded <coughs> mountain estate, he's not sure what kind of trouble he's likely to find. But it probably wasn't a giant four-headed alien masquerading as a motivational speaker in an attempt to create an army of slaves the old-fashioned way. That's canon. I already know it. That's the craziest shit I've ever heard. I fucking know some some manic comic artist came out and was like, you know what? Here it is. Here's Spider-Man. And nobody will ever believe you. Ha 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 <laughs> Anyway. Read me the third one, but I'm definitely going to say that one's canon. <laughs> Number three. As a young boy, Peter Parker is quiet, studious, and more often than not, alone. He's an excellent student, but desperate for friendship. 
which makes it all too easy for the older and cooler Stephen Westcott to earn Peter's trust and quickly abuse it. That's the thing about sexual abuse. It can happen to anyone. I think the last one is a fanfic. Not because I think that Spider-Man comics stray away from sexual encounters. Looking at you, Spider-Man fuck comic. But it feels like there's there's something that, and I don't know, it just pings like a fan fiction for me. I think that the first two are canon because the first one, like I said, with the Deadpool storyline, I don't know. It, part of me is like doubting because I'm like, well, would they repeat the same story for Spider-Man as they did for Deadpool? But then also there's a part of my brain that's like, was that even Deadpool? Are you remembering that right? So uh, I don't know. But I'm going to stick to my guns and I'm going to say that the, the first two are canon and the third one is the fanfic. And if I find out that the second one is the fanfic, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. <laughs> because every single time I'm like, that's the wild one. It's the fanfic. You're like, and then it was published in 1952. <laughs> so that's why I finally answer uh, canon, canon, fanfic. Uh, well, you are not going to lose your mind, but you are also incorrect. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to take that as a li- as my own personal little win. Yeah, I count the little <laughs> victories. And I knew as soon as you said a four-headed motivational speaker that it was a canon story. So I- I'm still counting this one as a win for me. That's fair. That's fair. A stickerless lo- win for Zeke. <laughs> Lowercase w. Yeah. We'll start wherever you want to start. I kind yeah, of well- feel like we should save the four-headed motivational speaker for last. Um, that's fair just to to kind of end on a lighter note but also like i just want i just want to save the best for last just really want (laughs) that one's really got Uh, me tantalized so um the first one is the fan fiction you are right there is a deadpool comic where he does stop a an attempted suicide and honestly like tricks the girl into going to the hospital so that she can get help from people who are qualified to give it this story Uh, however, is called The Dichotomy of a Free Fall. And it's by S.E. Parker. It's like the letters S.E. Parker. The first regular name we've ever had for a fanfic author. (laughs) But yeah, so this is um, an incomplete story. Uh, They have two chapters up. I'm not sure how many they were planning on writing. The first chapter has to deal with the attempted suicide. The second chapter, I think, leads into her getting into like other kinds of trouble. But I think it's an interesting story just because it isn't really dwelling in kind of a depressive hole. Like, I think a lot of times stories that deal with these kinds of issues maybe can get into just the whole, like, torture cycle a little bit. And I felt like this was a story that started in a dark place that had the character kind of getting her way out of it like obviously having spider-man come and show up and be like hey you have something to live for is is a help but seeing the character like have the realization you know um i think the character makes the observation that like almost dying and then having her life saved helped her realize how much she actually didn't want to die like having that moment of clarity and it talks a little bit about like her interactions afterwards like how she has to like talk to her mother how she actually has to like go to therapy and things like that Mm -hmm. which i think is is a little bit more realistic um for people that are maybe in this position um i'm not an expert on this topic but i guess it was kind of nice to see a story that kind of wanted to focus a little bit more on the the healing process i guess Mm -hmm. so so that was i i did not to my knowledge find a actual spider-man suicide psa not to say that there isn't one but I didn't come across one. Okay. All right. But I do, well, I do appreciate someone taking the time to write that though. Like it's sometimes fan fiction. I feel like is viewed as a very like indulgent sort of escapist thing um, mm-hmm. where people write only like their wildest fantasies or whatever. Kind of like, like I guess the media portrayal of it is kind of like Tina from Bob's burgers where it's like, and then everyone had a great, but, but like, <laughs> but like, I, I think that it's good to talk about, fan fiction and fan work as sort of an outlet or a um a space to explore like trauma and more serious things and whether or not they've happened in your life or someone else's um or if it's content that's just there that you feel the need to like explore and indulge in i think we don't talk enough about 
fan fiction being a really good space for that. Mm-hmm. Which is why I personally am anti-censorship of any kind of fan fiction. Like, I'm a big don't like, don't read person. It's because for stories like this, it's like, well, no one's trying to perpetuate anything. This is very much a story that's explorative and could be even like cathartic for the author. I don't claim to know them, but yeah, I don't know. It's just something about that's very nice. It's not really the word I'm looking for, but relatable. Yeah, yeah, definitely relatable for sure. So then that makes the, the third one canon. The third one is canon. And this is one of those, um, this is just one of those weird ones. It is unlike the green goblin reborn story that we talked about. This one was specifically printed as like a free distributed comic. Um, this actually comes from Spider-Man and Power Pack. So it's like a dual comic where half of the story revolves around Spider-Man. And then the second half is a completely different story with the Power Pack. And this is one of those things that, that I think fan fiction authors, like when they hear about it, they're like, oh, awesome. Like I have a instant just add water villain from Peter's past um, kind of things. Even though like as comic history goes it's a pretty obscure thing and outside of this one random side comic which considering that it's not part of like amazing spider-man or something like that you could arguably say that this isn't canon Mm -hmm. it's never been mentioned again right (laughs) which is which is weird but well it's weird and it's not weird but uh basically the premise of the story is that like spider-man is doing his thing and then he comes across this young boy who is having a rough time and then the the boy tells spider-man about how his babysitter is abusing him and like convincing him to play games quote unquote Mm -hmm. um, that involve taking their clothes off that he doesn't want to play and so spider-man tells him the story of a young boy and he doesn't like use his name but it's obviously himself that he's talking about Mm -hmm. and basically just like how he was little and he was a nerd and he didn't have any friends. And then like he was at the library and he made friends with this cool older kid who, who goes by the name skip his, you know, basically. And and I think it does a good job of showing the way that like, it's not necessarily going to be some random person on the street. Like it's going to be somebody that, you know, somebody that your family Mm -hmm. knows, someone that you, that you've grown to trust and that that trust can be betrayed and so what's like Skip, you know, ha- like starts showing him dirty magazines and then like tries to get him to, you know, touch him and stuff like that. And so it is kind of awkward, but it is, again, I think the reason that the story got published, as opposed to what you said before about like, oh, you know, Timmy's being beaten up on the playground. I think it was important for them to have a story where it showed that this could literally happen to anyone, that it could happen to a boy, that it could happen to a hero, that it could happen to anyone. It wasn't just bad kids or, you know, kids from a certain kind of family or anything like that. So I think it's one of those things where it's like comic purists may be like, this doesn't make any sense for the character. It shouldn't be part of the canon. But then like from the meta sense, you're like, well, if you're erasing the idea that this could happen to anyone, that's also sort of harmful. So it sort of lives in this gray area Mm -hmm. um, of whether or not it quote unquote counts. But I also am not a slave to what is canon and what isn't. So I don't care. It's there. It got published. (laughs) Which brings us to the third and easily most insane and delightful one of these PSAs. Yeah. This was a one shot called The Amazing Spider-Man versus The Prodigy. Oh, fuck yeah. And this is a comic to help young adolescent people understand the dangers of unprotected sex and teen pregnancy. <gasps> oh, wow. Because basically Spider-Man's like doing his Spider-Man thing and he sees like a helicopter, not like a four seater, but like one of the big like military numbers, you know, that can carry like what? 20, 30 people. What? And he's like, there's a lot of teenagers boarding this helicopter. That seems suspicious. And from the looks of it, like, these aren't kids that are fresh from the country club either. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, when you said a helicopter full of teenagers, I honestly, I was like, like four teenagers in a helicopter? That's wacky. But like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's a bunch. Like, it's there's a big old line of them. And so he's like, all right, well, I'm going to follow this lead. And it takes him to this, like, crazy mountain compound. And this... There's this, you know, like in in PSAs and stuff when like 
like the cool teacher like puts their leg up on a desk and is like so kids let's talk about premarital sex like okay, that yeah. right except this guy's like oh you kids have been told all the wrong things your whole lives like it's not actually that dangerous and blah 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 and like besides this is the best time in your life to have a baby because you're young enough to enjoy it and like it yeah it's just and so the kids are like asking some questions you know they're like but i heard that blah 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 or that you can get a disease and he's like no that's ridiculous like you you guys are young you should be having fun and partying and spider-man's like this is the worst health class i've ever sat in on right and as he like follows the guy like into you know he's like he leaves the group of teenagers and like he follows him and then he sees him like taking off his human mask and he's like got he's a big green giant four-headed alien underneath and he's come from what's the name of the planet? like intellectua i think is the name of the planet he's from wow and basically he needs like an army of slaves to work for him and he decided that the most efficient way to do that was to corral a bunch of teenagers, make them have premarital sex so that they would have babies. And then I guess he was going to take the babies to space and I don't know, like farm humans for his slave army or something. It's not super clear. Okay. Yeah. And meanwhile, like Spider-Man's like, oh man, you know, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like he's trying to get these kids burnt out before their time. And they're not even going to have, they're, they're going to get stuck in dead end jobs and they're not going to even have energy to like go see movies or, or what is it? Like get buzzed at the, get burger joints or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay, Spider-Man, you're 500 years old. But anyway, so, so like he realizes that uh, the prodigy dude is about to like go on TV and like spread his message to the masses. And so he ends up having to fight him and stop him before that happens. And then he like talks some sense into the kids about like the reality of sex education um, so that they don't go getting pregnant immediately. Oh, okay. And then the best part is that this comic ends with like, kind of like okay was that story too confusing would, it, would there was a lot going on so here's just some bullet point facts about like <laughs> the reality of sex and pregnancy and so it's like here's a big yellow box and there's a big spider-man logo in the corner and it's like you can get pregnant even if it's your first time even if you've only had sex a couple times that like counting days doesn't really work like you can get pregnant anytime it can happen mm -hmm. but the best part is at the end where it's talking about masturbation oh no and how like masturbation won't make you insane <laughs> or or unhealthy wow and i'm just like all right i i'm i mean i'm glad to know that spider-man is like pro sex education i mean he's from new york city so i assume that the education system there is more liberal but that he's like pro sex education and like you know, know your body. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and he's a supporter of bodily autonomy. Like I appreciate that about Spider-Man. It's not something I was expecting to learn this week, but here we are. Yeah. So that was just really, a really wild comic to read and <laughs> I can't unread it. Can't <laughs> so here unread we are. It. This is how you experiencing. This is how it felt for me to experience the Spider-Man fuck comic for the first time. She's <laughs> like, well, I can't unknow this. Now this is going to live in my head rent free. I do really like the masturbation will make you crazy thing because, uh, it just makes me think about like, like it's like Spider-Man. Right. And he's like, and you can get, and he has like a pointer and he's like a, like a whiteboard and he's like, you can get pregnant your first time and counting days doesn't work. And then, but it's like Peter, Peter Parker, the man himself who lives alone in his apartment a lot of the time is <laughs> saying, and then masturbation will not make you crazy. I promise. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is all I could think about. Well, we'll definitely uh, get that image and post it. Uh, when this episode goes up so yeah. that people can get the facts yeah. straight from the spider's mouth. Absolutely. We want you guys to be educated. This has been like one really long, terrible PSA. <laughs> like don't do drugs and drugs can happen to anyone and seek uh, mental health help if you need it. And masturbation won't make you nuts. Well, absolutely make you nut, but 
(laughs) 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 Thank you for looking into these stories for me. I know that some of it probably was not easy reading in all seriousness. Um, So I appreciate you taking the time to look into those things and for finding these stories. They're very unique. I know that a lot of the time we sometimes we come to these topics and it's like, oh, I wouldn't have expected that. But with the PSAs, honestly, like I really did not come into this expecting Spider-Man to be a comic where such serious stuff would be discussed. I really expected it to be like, remember, kids, you have to eat an orange like and be hydrated, like you know. So that's really cool for me. And uh, I'm going to be honest. I really hope that more of that fan fiction gets published. If it's you said it's not finished, right? It's not. Yeah. I really hope that that it gets finished, if not for anything other than the, the sake of of the author. Um, because I feel like everybody should be free to write whatever they want. That's my PSA. Write whatever you want and put it on AO3. Anyway, thanks so much for bringing those stories I do have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you have a cool uh, public service uh, trivia uh, fact in tidbit for me today? <laughs> that was the best well, I could I have do. Some, uh, <laughs> I do have a story about Spider-Man providing a public service. Okay. Um, today, obviously, we've talked about Spider-Man as a character being used to help spread a lot of messages and a lot of important education. And I think something that is important to think about is why Spider-Man is effective as a character to deliver those messages. And I think what it just comes down to is that he is someone who is beloved and trusted and looked up to like kids love Winnie the Pooh, but like not in a clutch, you know, like, yeah, no one, no one thinks Winnie the Pooh is going to save them at any point. But I think that there is just, you know a different sense of trust when it comes to a character like spider-man and i was searching for some different kinds of stories to look up and i found one that i that really just kind of touched my heart which um is a story that comes to us from 2009 and it happened in thailand where there was a young boy he was eight years old and it was his first day of uh like a special needs school and he just had a breakdown um in the classroom and ended up crawling out of the window of the building and they were like several stories up mm-hmm. uh like three stories up and he crawls out of the window and he's basically like on the window ledge and the teacher like couldn't reach him couldn't go out to get him was concerned that like if the kid you know tried to come back to her that he would fall um the fire department was called and like you know they came in and they put like a what do you call it? like a big inflatable mattress I, thing yeah i know what you're you know? talking about like a i'm not sure what a cushion like yeah the the big ones um like had that down on the ground but they were all just very concerned and the commotion started scaring the boy even more so he was even more reluctant to like move from his spot um but one of the firemen overheard a comment from the boy's mother about how he loved superheroes and so he bolted back to the fire station and found their spider-man costume that he used when they were like teaching fire drill safety and stuff like that and put it on and came back to the school and then like popped out of the window and like started coaxing the boy to come back to him and was like, Hey, you need, you need, you need to come back to the window, but you have to walk. You have to be very careful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, told him like, I'm Spider-Man and Spider-Man is here to rescue you and no monsters are going to get you. And like the little boy just like lit up and, very like carefully walked back to him and was able to like be brought back into the window. And there is actually like a photo of him, like being held like, like by Spider-Man unless he's got like a juice pack and stuff like that. Um, But I think that like stories like this, which are uh, not as uncommon as you might think, just really speak a lot to how beloved this character is and like how real he is to children. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, that speaks a lot to like how powerful these messages in these comics and these cartoons um, and shorts can really be. Um, so I think that's just something really interesting and neat to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, that's what I was, that's what I was going to touch on when you were, when you were telling the story, that's what I was thinking is that we tend to write superheroes off, especially like um, with like the, 
the MCU and like bringing like superheroes really into mainstream, I think they tend to get written off a lot as like they're just they're just kids characters and whatever. But like to children, these characters are very real, and so I think that on the topic of PSAs and having heroes be there in crisis situations for kids, even if it's like, you know, like, Oh, I read the Spider-Man comic and they said stranger danger or whatever. So like that's effectively like this fictional character who is very real to a child, saving them from a dangerous situation. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to the power of a well-written or a, a well-loved hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really cool. And I'm really, uh, that's a great story. I'm really happy to, that you brought that uh, to me to hear. That just makes me feel really good. Um, and also picturing Spider-Man holding a little kid with a juice box. <laughs> I am, I am gay. That's all I have to say. <laughs> uh, if you've seen any cool uh, Spider-Man PSAs, you listener, you, I'm talking to you, pay attention. If you've seen any cool Spider-Man PSAs or if you just want to talk about Spider-Man or if you have any ideas for future episodes, you can hit us up on Twitter at WasSpideyThere or you can send us an email at WasSpideyThere at gmail.com uh, or you can join our Discord server. Uh, Kat, tell them how the Discord server is so cool. The Discord server is super fun. If you want to talk to us about episodes as you're listening to them. If you have any weird questions you want to ask or get things clarified, if you just want to see the really wild pictures of Spider-Man that I come across at two in the morning and have to share with somebody, Mm -hmm. uh, that's where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We have, it's pretty well organized. We have uh, all the rooms available and we want to talk to you guys. We definitely want to engage with our listeners and hear what you guys have to say and where you think Spider-Man has been. So this has been uh, an incredibly educational very special episode my name is zeke and i'm kat and we'll see you next week what's up spider pals it's zeke If you enjoyed the stories that we talked about in today's episode, you should check out the issues they're from. And they are Amazing Spider-Man from 1963, numbers 96 through 98. The Amazing Spider-Man versus the Prodigy. Spider-Man and the Power Pack, specifically the chapter Secrets. And our featured fanfic this week was The Dichotomy of a Free Fall by S.E. Parker. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Do you, okay, did you ever play the Crash Bandicoot video games? I didn't. I did not okay. have a video game system at that point in time. There's a villain in Crash Bandicoot, and he's like a mad scientist, and he has a really big head, like Mega Mind, but he's balding just on the top, and then he has like the you know like the hair rim, and he has like the um like a handlebar mustache and a goatee, um, <laughs> and that's what I imagined Doctor Dealer to look like. Perfect.